something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, guys. Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. I've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims. For a decade, I prosecuted violent felonies. Every day is a mission. Every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe. Listen to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. You're listening to Facing Evil, a production of iHeartRadio and Tenderfoot TV. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are solely those of the individuals participating in the show and do not represent those of iHeartRadio or Tenderfoot TV. This podcast contains subject matter, which may not be suitable for everyone. Listener discretion is advised. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Facing Evil. I'm Rasha Pecorero. And I'm Yvette Gentile. And this week, we are talking about the death of Skylar Niece, a teenager who was murdered by the closest people to her, her two best friends. Yes, her two teenage best friends. And it's absolutely heartbreaking. And I'm sure everyone is wondering, how could this happen? Why did this happen? That is the question that we're always asking, why? But today we are so happy to welcome back our friend, M. William Phelps, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Paper Ghost and Crossing the Line. Yes, we like to call him Matthew, even though most other people call him Phelps. We're really looking forward to talking to him today. But first, our producer Trevor is going to walk us through today's case. Ten years ago, Skylar Niece came to this spot and never returned. Now, a decade later, her memory lives on in those who knew her best. We never want anyone to go through what we went through. It's the worst hell I've ever, ever been through. No matter what she says now that she was young and she didn't know better, I'm sorry. Five and ten-year-olds know not to commit murder. Skylar Niece was a 16-year-old girl from Star City, West Virginia, who was stabbed to death by her two closest friends and left to die in a remote area one state away. Skylar was described by most as a good girl, with nice friends and two loving parents in a pleasant home in suburban West Virginia. She was just eight years old when she met her best friend, a girl named Sheila Eddy. Eddie had a troubled relationship with her own parents, but grew to be very close with Skylar's parents, who described her as a second daughter. Their freshman year, Sheila transferred to Skylar's high school, and they both started hanging out with a third girl, Rachel Schoaf. The trio were inseparable, but when Skylar and Rachel started getting close, Sheila got jealous. Skylar and Sheila began having public arguments on Twitter. And in a tweet in August of 2011, Skylar alluded to having dirt on both friends. 
She may have been alluding to a recent night when she allegedly witnessed Sheila and Rachel making out after raiding Rachel's mom's liquor cabinet. Sheila and Rachel now both turned on their former friend and tried to smear her reputation at school. They told classmates she was annoying and clingy, but then they went a step further, planning her murder. When some classmates overheard them talking in school, they were sent to the principal's office, but then sent back to class. Then, on July 5th, 2012, Rachel and Sheila invited Skylar out for a late night drive. While her parents slept, Skylar snuck out, and the three drove to a remote area just over the West Virginia border into Pennsylvania. There, Rachel and Sheila brandished knives and stabbed Skylar's niece until she was no longer moving. They then dragged her body to a nearby creek and hid it under some sticks, rocks, and dirt. Skylar's parents were alarmed about her disappearance, but Sheila told them they'd drop Skylar off a few blocks down the street after the late night hangout. Months passed, during which Sheila spent a great deal of time with the niece family, crying over Skylar's disappearance and even hanging up missing persons posters around the neighborhood. At school, Sheila and Rachel grew reserved and only hung out with each other. When they were questioned by police, Rachel acted nervous. But Sheila, on the other hand, acted, quote, perky. One officer said, quote, she'd look you in the eye and speak matter-of-factly. Finally, in January of 2013, Rachel Shove had a mental breakdown. After going to a psychiatric ward, she confessed to the crime. She then led the police to Skylar's body. Sheila Eddy was at Skylar's parents when the discovery was made, and she cried along with Skylar's family. When the police asked Rachel why they killed their friend, she simply replied, we just didn't like her. The two girls were arrested. Sheila was convicted of first-degree murder and sentenced to life in prison. Rachel was sentenced to 30 years in prison. And so, what happened to Skylar niece? How did a friendship between teenage girls turn into a bloody murder? And how does this story reveal a troubling mental health crisis for teenagers, which often leads to violence? A few months ago, we talked about the case of Michelle McNeil with the one and only M. William Phelps, who is the true crime author and host of the podcast Paper Ghosts and Crossing the Line. We are back with we like to call him Matthew, is in the house. <laughs> we are so excited to have you back on Facing Evil. And, you know, today we're talking about Skylar Niece. So we'll get into that in a little bit. But Matthew, tell us, you know, what's been going on? What's coming up next for you? I know we were just talking about, you know, the world that we live in and all the crazy things that are happening that really takes a toll on us. But, you know, you're such a, a deep sensitive, wise human being. And I know you you always push forward. So what's new with you? Tell us what's new. I'm working on season four of Paper Ghosts, my limited series podcast. And I'm just getting ready to head out to the Ozarks. Uh, there's a case out there of a, of a young girl who went missing in the late 80s, and she was found sometime later. And I'm looking at a couple of other cases that are similar to it that could be connected to hers. Oh. And there's because at the time, uh, late 80s, early 90s, that area of the country, the uh, Midwest, if you will, there was a rash of, you know, young teen girls going missing. 
and uh, some of them found, some not found. So this case is is really interesting. I I, I have a suspect that I'm really focused on that hasn't been named and no, no one knows. Wow. Yeah. Uh, we'll see where it leads. You know, it's always interesting when I go out there and spend a couple of weeks and start knocking on doors and talking to people. So I'm looking forward to that. Wow. I have a few other podcasts that I'm uh, in the process of developing and 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 producing and, and things like that, that are similar. You know, one of them is very different, but uh, m- mostly they're similar to what I do, which is investigative journalism. Mm-hmm. It's funny, since we last interviewed you, Matthew, I have to tell you, like, you're one of our very first interviews and we've interviewed, you know, several people since. And it makes me think, especially like how you got into the true crime genre and how you're still like moving your way through it. Like this has been a calling, I think, for all of us because we just want to see the light and the darkness in this world. And I know that's exactly what you do. And the the more and more that we're in this, I'm like, oh, we're supposed to be here. And I, I just feel like you you do that every single day. And I just have to say it's very, very beautiful. And you're an amazing example of what one person can do. Well, thank you very much. I, I, I mean, I appreciate that. I'm humbled by that. I I was recently watching something and it, it it's a metaphor really for what you just said. So when the sun goes down, it doesn't get dark. Mm-hmm. The sky doesn't get dark. What it is, according to physicists and scientists, is the light from the stars we see hasn't reached us yet. That's why they look mm. dim. It hasn't reached us yet. So it doesn't light up the earth when the sun goes around us. I love that. You know, and then when the sun comes out, we can't see any, we can't see any of them. So that little tiny bit of light heading towards the earth to shine, I look for that little tiny bit of light, you know, and see where I can, I can just get in there. And that's why we love you. Amen to that. It's just so interesting how you, you know, like Russia said, we have interviewed so many different people, but there's just certain people when you know you're of like mind and like spirit. And we felt that way with you from the get, because this is a, you know, as we know, this is a hard industry, you know, to be in, to talk about this. It's heavy too. Heavy shite. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But like, you know, like I said before, if we can just open you know, one person's mind, right? Or help someone heal and move upward and onward or solve a case, you know, like you, you know, with mm-hmm. bringing justice. I mean, it, it's these these things are so important, so important in this world, you know? It, it bringing answers to families is really rewarding. That yeah. that really keeps me going. When I when I get with a family and I say, look, I've spent a couple of years here on this and, and this is what happened. This is uh, what you're never going to hear because law enforcement doesn't have the resources. They don't have the budget. So uh, here you go. Like, please do something with this. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Now, I mean, they they can know that at least they have some information about what happened. Yeah. Right. There's a why. And actually, I was talking to a prosecutor, interviewing a prosecutor the other day, and and he was saying, look, you know, I'm happy to talk with you because, you know- no one else is going to do anything with this. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm very happy to give you what you need to find out what you can. 
you know, um, and that's that's pretty gratifying for me after a long career of doing this. You know that uh, trust. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a lot of bullshit podcasts, true crime, you know, makeup and TikTok yeah. and all of this out there. So right. <laughs> we're trying all of us are trying our best to do ethical true crime. Yeah, yeah. To get back to the case that we're talking about today, like you mentioned, you know, finding out the why. So let's let's talk about the the case of Skylar Niece. This is not unsolved. We do know who who did this, but what were your first impressions about this case about this young girl, Skylar? I've written many books about uh, teens and murder, teens who kill, that sort of thing. So I'm very familiar with the psychology and what's going on, right? So yeah. all of these cases, uh, this one especially, uh, they're devastating, right? Uh, the, these are people who haven't lived a life yet. Right. Their brain's not even fully developed. Yeah. What struck me was uh, a touching scene that I read about the dad and her having a tea party. That that was very touching to <laughs> yeah. me. Yeah. And yeah. and the punchline is that, you know, he 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 asks her, you can't reach the the water faucet. Where are you getting the water from that you've been that I've been drinking? And she said, Oh, the toilet. <laughs> right. That's right. That's right. <laughs> that really shows, right. you know, love, yeah. you know, the love between between them all. Yeah. yeah. But the other thing that stands out to me but doesn't surprise me is in all of these cases. You have a leader and a follower. Right. 100%. Right. And very, very rarely do, will a teen kill by his or herself, right? They, they, they always, there's always someone else connected. There's always someone else involved. Many times there's more than one involved. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. This case also struck me as the, I will say, I, I mean, I can't diagnose anybody. I'm not a psychologist, but of one course. of these girls is a bona fide sociopath. The other isn't. That, that's clear to me here, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know, uh, in the behavior after the murder. Right. With their family. Yep. Yeah. Mm -hmm. In history of documentary filmmaking, one scene stands out above all. The hot mic bathroom confession of Robert Durst in the Jinx. Now the person responsible for that moment, Sereb Kaufman, stepson of the victim, friend of the murderer, star of the documentary, for the first time ever, shares why he believes you're watching the furthest thing from the truth on this exclusive episode of Murder Homes. Listen to Murder Homes on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your host of TMI. New year, new name, new energy, but... Same old us. <laughs> oh, yeah. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. But that's not all. We will also have special guests to add their thoughts on the topics, as well as break down different political issues with local activists in their community. If you like to be informed and to expand your thoughts, listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, 
Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. This case, right, it's so baffling when you think about it because you think about teenage girls and, you know, they should just be having fun, going to a prom, you know. Living their lives. Not this heavy, heavy duty jealousy and anger, but you see it so much. It's like I think about the cases that, you know, we've worked on in the past with um, Conrad Roy, that particular case where Michelle Carter, you know, and even the Shonda Scherer case, you know, it's a leader and a follower and someone gets incredibly upset and then gets someone else to join and does these these horrible things. I mean, it turns into a paradox of violence, right? The mental issues that these children have gone through that have led to this moment, that has a lot to do with it, don't you think? Absolutely. Let me ask you both a question. Yeah. How do you feel social media played in this case particularly? Huge. Yes, it's huge. And I I have to say, full, full, full disclosure, I have been on social media since MySpace. And for me, you know, it's always been something that's very prominent in my life, but I joined as an adult, you know, I'm 44 years old and I think I started, I was on MySpace whenever it started and I was already in my late twenties. I was not a teenager. I cannot even imagine what these girls were going through. And we know that, you know, Twitter at the time had a lot to do with it. And now Twitter now for me, of course, in 2023 is not my favorite place. It makes me scared for my daughter who's 11. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So we we must all think that social media has a lot to do with it, right? Particularly here, I'm looking at uh, Sheila Eddy mm-hmm. and how she says, I feel great right now. Skylar answers, this is the best night ever, right? And, the, you know, she's about to be murdered. Wow. Yeah. Let me just back up. They're talking during the day on social media. Mm-hmm. Other people are piping in, amping up the conversation. Yeah. Right. So there's all these influences coming in that are just invisible, right? Invisible influences, right? Yeah. Right. Kind of stoking the fire, if you will. Yeah. Yeah. And she says at one point, it really, this is Skylar, it really doesn't take much to piss me off, right? Mm-hmm. She talks about how stress will be the death of her, about being bored. And I looked at that and I thought it's the classic confluence of peer pressure, right? The symptoms of peer pressure, exactly. an environment for someone so young, a mind so young, yeah. kind of in a social pressure cooker, yep. right? Keeping up with her friends, trying to fit in, trying to be popular, mm-hmm. um, trying not to be bullied. And then on July 5th, 2012, Sheila and Rachel invite Skylar to go out. And what struck me here is this. They pack knives, paper towels, bleach, things to clean up with, and a shovel. Premeditated. This is not an impulsive decision. No. I remember I did the Slender Man case, and, and it involved same age kids. Three kids, same age, three girls, and one was a follower, one was a leader. You know, they did the same thing. They packed a knife, they went out into the woods, same thing. I, I don't know that... This sort of thing happened in my day. Mine either, Matthew. 
I mean, I think social media plays a big part in it. And I think television as well. You know, I think, how do they know to go and get bleach and do this and do that? You know, I just think that we're bombarded with with all of this evil, like 24-7, that it's available to these young minds. And unless the parents, you know, and obviously a parent can't monitor everything. No, you can't keep the kids in a bubble. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to social media, like I don't have children, but I can tell you this now, like my niece, Leilani, it's like, she's like, I want Instagram. I'm not a mother. I'm not her mother, but I'm like, no, mm-hmm. <laughs> definitely not. No TikTok, no Instagram, not till you're 21. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. Because with that stuff, the more you look at, the more you get. So it it has to have an effect on the mind of someone so young. But the question, I think, if we're facing evil, right. the question becomes, can that push a kid over the edge, right? And to commit some sort of violent act. And And the big question in this case is what you started with me is the why. Yeah. Why? Why? Yeah. There's just a couple of things also that stood out to me uh, uh, when I went through the case. And and that was the murder itself, how, you know, of course, they tackled her, started stabbing her. They did all of that stuff. And she fought back, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then there's the comment, but Sheila kept stabbing her until she was no longer moving and her, quote, neck stopped making gurgling sounds, end quote. So for a child to use those words, that detail is significant. Mm -hmm. It's significant in the fact that it tells me how active, aware, and completely in touch with what is happening and what they are doing. Mm -hmm. In order to make that observation and then later talk about it, you are in the moment. You know what's going on. You're not in some blind rage. You're not blacking out. Right, right. You, you know, you know exactly what you're doing and the consequences of what is happening. So that's when we go back to, and this is the question, because there was no remorse, you know, after this happened. Sheila was, you know, confronting and, you know, consoling, I should say, the parents. And she knew what she did. That's the sociopathic part, right? So that we could absolutely say Sheila was a sociopath. Without diagnosing, of course. Well, let's consider the situation for a minute. So what you have is a a true, unempathetic, cold person. Yeah. And let's look at what she's actually doing. She's in the family's house, yeah. yeah, consoling the family, handing out flyers, hanging up. She's participating. If we think back, who who else did that? Michelle Carter. Yep. So it, it shows callousness. It shows uh, deception. It shows well thought out lies, right? And it begins to borderline on psychopathy and the characteristics of the sociopath. It, we can't deny that whether we're psychologists or not, it's there. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. It's obvious. Right. It's, you know, you would look at it as sadistic, antisocial, all of that stuff, all that bad stuff that goes along with being a sociopath and being devious and manipulating all the way until the end. Yeah. Right. Right. And she was with the family when Skylar's body was discovered, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. She's, she counseled the family. Yeah. Said how, said how sorry she was. Yeah. But let's put our attention to 
and this happens in every one of these cases. So when you have a leader and a follower, the follower always cracks. Right, yep. which is what happened. Followers, the one with remorse, with guilt, with, with a conscience. Mm -hmm. And the follower always goes in and cuts that deal first. Right, right. And that's exactly what you have here. I think Rachel, you know, yes, she did, you know, cut a deal, but it like really started to weigh on her, her psychological, her well-being. Like she couldn't, she couldn't hold that anymore. She couldn't function. Yeah. Yeah. The other girl, you know, Sheila, it, it was like nothing. Because she didn't feel. Yeah. She has no capability, no feeling of love of what we talk about a lot, which is that empathy, putting herself in the parent's position. Yeah. And and it's 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 very common in teens who kill that one of them is like that. It is? Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, let's go back into their lives and, and we can see how that has an effect on it. Because Rachel talks about having a good upbringing, you know, mm -hmm, parents right. who loved her. Right. That's Whereas Sheila talks about not having that. Right. Yeah. That factors into it for sure. It's different wires and all these wires start to cross. And it's very rare that that happens. And it's it's sad all around. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Like you said earlier, especially when it's it's young kids, you know, young minds that are doing these god awful things and hurting other young people that it's just so heartbreaking. It goes back to mental well being, you know, because there's something, you know, where she's not 100% well. That's obvious, right? Yeah. She had an eating disorder. She was, she was depressed. Yeah. There was a lot of factors going on there. A lot of things happening. When her body's found, uh, Skylar, uh, Sheila even posts on Twitter, worst day of my whole life. Yeah. Wow. Mm -hmm. With Sheila, it's clear that there is no why. There is no why. What it is, is she wanted to get back at this girl for something we probably will never know. No, yeah. And instead of just unfriending her, right. she decided violence and murder was the way to do that, that, that she had to pay a price for whatever she did. Hmm. And, you know, there's people out in the world like that, unfortunately, yeah. that, that that's what they choose. You know, they choose violence over just walking away. But I think that's where social media comes in again, you know, and we can talk about this all day long because when you're putting your stuff out there on social media as, you know, Skylar and Sheila and Rachel were doing on Twitter and saying things, you're putting it out there for an audience. So now it's not just between the three of you of what's going on, but now it's like a, a boxing match. You know what I mean? Now you're putting it out there into the world and and people are festering on that and creating this evil. No, there's been studies about crowds and how crowds react. Mm -hmm. So crowds, you know, will react. One person, then 10 people, then 20 people start yep. reacting a certain way. The whole crowd will start following yeah. them, yeah. right? Because, oh my God, oh my God, whatever. So in this case, you have it on social media. But again, going back to Sheila, Sheila was using social media as a cover, basically. She was putting out lies on social media to cover up what she did. And she was probably getting a high off mm. that. I'm sure mm. she was getting an adrenaline rush because- the one thing that sociopaths need more than 
a, a lot of things is stimulation. They need to be yeah. stimulated. Yeah. yeah. And that's like, here you, here you have uh, Sheila interacting with the girl's family. She murdered. Really? So she's, right. that's mm. stimulating to her. She'd walk away from that house guaranteed. Look what I got away with today. Telling herself, yeah. wow, what, what, right. what, what a fix, you know, what a high. See, and I'm still sitting here with the why. I'm still like, why? I mean, they were friends from the time they were little kids. It's not like that, you know, Sheila and Skylar had just met. Rachel obviously was new to the, the clique. That's a really hard question to answer. It could just be, you know, how people are jealous and jealous turns into hurtful and evil and you just don't know. And you don't know what happened in her past. Like you said, she didn't have the upbringing that Rachel had. Like you never know what triggered in her brain as a young child that set her in this direction. Yeah. I remember I, I had been interviewing a serial killer for, at the time, it was about six years. And I'd often try to, to rope him into talking about God and evil mm. and good and this and that, to, just to get his sense of it. And he didn't believe in God, uh, of course. Uh, uh, and, and so I said, let's talk about evil. Mm. And he said, this was his comment. He said, well, if there is evil in the world, I'm it. Wow. wow. So he knew. Right. He says, if we're going to use evil as a word to describe uh, something, that's me. Wow. And for him, there was no why. There didn't have to be a why. There were triggers. There were triggers, you know, a woman said something he didn't like or whatever triggered him, but there never was no why other than the fact that this is a decision he made. Yeah. You know, I'm going to kill this woman today. Uh, end of story. In Sheila's case, uh, she made that decision. It's yeah. clear that they made that decision a long time before they took, carried out this murder because of all the things they took with them, uh, the pre-planning, the driving out to the area. Yeah. And then, and then everything after that, the social media posts, uh, we miss you. Where are you, Skylar? We miss you. Come home, handing out the flyers, getting with the family. That's all part of the stimulation, the high, the, uh, the why. That's all part of the why. Why? Because she wanted to. And she thought she could get away with it. Or she just didn't care. Most so sociopaths, uh, uh, you know, when we look at their behavior later, we're like, Jesus, I mean, how the hell did you think you could possibly get away with this, right? But now let's put ourselves in their position. Their position, narcissism. I believe I'm smarter yeah, mm -hmm, than everybody else. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I believe what I'm doing no one's going to figure out. I can convince, I can trick, I can manipulate, I can lie, and people are going to believe it. So although it looks like kind of um, megalomaniac thinking to us, mm -hmm. it's how they think. This is how their brain spins, which makes them dangerous. In history of documentary filmmaking, one scene stands out above all. The hot mic bathroom confession of Robert Durst in the Jinx. Now the person responsible for that moment, Sereb Kaufman, stepson of the victim, friend of the murderer, star of the documentary, for the first time ever, shares why he believes you're watching the furthest thing from the truth on this exclusive episode of Murder Homes. Listen to Murder Homes on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
I'm Elliot Connie, and this is Family Therapy. My best hopes, I guess, identify the life that I want and, and work towards it. I never seen a man take care of my mother the way she needed to be taken care of. I get the impression that you don't feel like you've done everything right as a father. Is that true? That's true. And I'm not offended by that. Thank you for, for going through those things and thank you for overcoming them. Wow. Thank God for the limits. Every time I have like one of our sessions, our sessions be positive. It just keeps me going. I feel like my focus is redirected in a, in a different aspect of my life now. So, how'd we do today? We did good. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy. Listen now on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. So shifting gears a little bit, I I do want to talk to you about what you think about this. So one issue in Skylar's case is that the Amber Alert didn't go out for Skylar. But do you think that law enforcement failed her because they just thought, oh, she's 16, she ran away. So she's a runaway. Yeah, she's not a victim, you know. Do you think that was a mistake? I see a lot of cases like this where a teen goes missing and immediately they just jump to that. They ran away. They took off with a boy or a girl and they're, they're you know, they're on their way to love, finding the sunset right. on the beach, um, and they'll be back. Mm-hmm. Most good law enforcement don't think like that. If they're under 18, they'll just issue the Amber Alert. Yeah. yeah. I mean, they'll just boom. And it should be that way. It should just be automatic. Yeah. 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 Okay. If she ran away, okay, fine. Then we'll, we'll find her with the Amber Alert. Doesn't hurt anything, right? Yeah. What, what it does is get people involved yeah. in uh, the present moment of the day, basically. Right. Gets the community involved. Exactly. It baffles the mind. You know, it baffles the mind when I see stuff like that and, and, and it doesn't have. I think in this case, a law then gets enacted because of this case. Yeah. It's actually called Skyler's Law. So it's, it expanded the state's um, Amber Alert system to include any child who has disappeared and is believed to be endangered. That's the silver lining, right? I have an Amber Alert story I can tell you about yeah, a let's case hear it. that I wrote a book on. So, all right. So there's this woman who's eight months pregnant and another woman decides that it's her baby. It's not. Mm. So she she drives from Kansas to Missouri. And she had befriended this this pregnant woman, and uh, she drives there one day, takes a paring knife, cuts that baby out of her, takes the baby, takes off. The sheriff shows up, okay? Sheriff Ben Espy, great person that, that I've met along my journey. He shows up, and he wants to issue an Amber Alert immediately. Of course. Here's what he gets. He gets... Yeah, we're not issuing an ambler for it's a fetus. I don't know if it's a baby oh, yet. God. They get into this whole back and forth, right? So finally, he says, I needed that. He tells me, he says, I needed that amber alert to find that kid. I mean, yeah. I, I needed to have that amber. I mean, you put out an ambler alert for a baby that's been born that way. People are going to be looking. Yeah. And they're going to notice. They're going to notice something's wrong with that kid, right? Yeah. Right. Long story short, he ends up calling the 
the Congress uh, person in his district and he says, listen, he said, if you ever want to get elected again, you're going to get that fucking Amber Alert out tonight. Yep. yep. And bang, they put that Amber Alert out within a couple hours, had all kinds of calls. Wow. wow. Perpetrator was found with the baby in her arms. Wow. You know, going back to Skylar's case, it I mean, it took them six months or longer just to find her body, you know, because they just assumed she was a runaway. But the parents, you know, the parents were on them to to find her. So it's like we need people in the justice system, you know, in all of these communities to really listen to what these families are saying, you know, and and care, like truly care. Mm -hmm. It's easier to love than to hate. We've said this before, I think. It doesn't take anything to love somebody, but it takes so much energy to hate. So much. It does. Matthew, I I wish you you had met our mom because my mom always said something to me and to Yvette, but more to me because I'm the more sensitive one. <laughs> she would always say, Rasha, there's more good than there is evil in the world. No matter how dark it gets, you have to know that. The light is always going to shine. Yeah. Yeah. Our mother was, you know, a bright light who had a very, very very hard and and dark life but through all of that darkness she she fought for the light <laughs> and she did she fought for the light and therefore she instilled that you know in both Russia and I so to be here to be with you on this platform with a like-minded soulmate you know is very empowering for us because again i go back to this is not a easy industry you know people a lot of people just like to hear the brutality of it all the sensationalism of it all but there's so much more to that you know because it affects everyone it affects the family it affects the the neighbors it affects the community it affects the world yeah, you got to have responsibility talking about this stuff. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. So, yeah, some people don't, but you know, I, I just I don't pay attention to that. What is the light for you in this case? Like, what? Where's the hope? Where's the growth? Part of it is that Amber Alert law, Skyler's law. Yeah, so at least something good came out of it. The other part of it for me was Rachel's behavior at the end, how she. She takes responsibility. Yeah. She displays remorse. She displays empathy, sorrow, and she takes responsibility. Yes. I think that says a lot. It, it does. does. Well, it's been an amazing, amazing hour having you here on the show, Matthew. Again, we we appreciate your light, your wisdom, your heart, your intelligence, but most of all, we just appreciate you for being you and and being here on Facing Evil with us. Well, thank you so much. I, I really appreciate you asking me again to come on. I'm very honored that you did. And, um, you know, we're friends for life now. For That's right. life. That's right. Today's message of hope and healing goes out to the Ohana, or the family, of Skylar Niece. Skylar's family remembers her fondly. She was a big reader who loved the Twilight books, and she was just getting into the classics like Great Expectations. She was a girl after my own heart. She loved hip-hop. Tyler, 
The creator and Mac Miller were two of her favorite artists. Her family also said she had a wicked sense of humor. Her aunt, Carol, recalls that Skylar gave her the nickname Sparky after she accidentally set some tissue papers on fire. She even decorated a spark plug as a Christmas ornament and gave it to her aunt as a gag gift. And while we know all these things about Skylar, the truth was that she was still figuring out who she was and something that she would never get a chance to do. And so today's message of hope and healing goes out to the memory of Skylar and to her Ohana, her family. Onward and upward, Imua. Imua. Well, that's our show for today. We'd love to hear what you thought about today's discussion and if there's a case you'd like for us to cover. Find us on social media or email us at facingevilpod at tenderfoot.tv. And one small request, if you haven't already, please find us on iTunes and give us a good rating and a good review if you like what we do. Your support is always cherished. Until next time, aloha. Facing Evil is a production of iHeartRadio and Tenderfoot TV. The show is hosted by Rasha Pecorero and Yvette Gentile. Matt Frederick and Alex Williams are executive producers on behalf of iHeartRadio, with producers Trevor Young and Jesse Funk. Donald Albright and Payne Lindsay are executive producers on behalf of Tenderfoot TV, alongside producer Tracy Kaplan. Our researcher is Carolyn Talmadge. Original music by Makeup and Vanity Set. Find us on social media or email us at facingevilpod at tenderfoot.tv. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio or Tenderfoot TV, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, guys. Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. I've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims. For a decade, I prosecuted violent felonies. Every day is a mission. Every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe. Listen to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast.